Well, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it <clears throat> to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> We're in a series called Our Shaping Virtues, which is a reflection or on the traits or the qualities that by God's grace have been our experience as a denomination of churches for the last 40 plus years. They're descriptions of what we could call gospel culture, which is what any church should expect to experience when we embrace the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen. Um, but they can be lost over time if we don't remember the good news. And so this series is about connecting the dots between the gospel and the fruits that should arise from it, things that we want to not lose, that we want to grow in, things we want to pursue. So last Sunday, we considered humility, which is the posture and practice of lowering ourselves with respect to others, particularly with respect to God Himself. Today, the virtue that we're going to consider is joy. Joy. Our guiding text on joy will be just one verse. Philippians 4.4. 4. So I'm going to read that. It'll be on the screen also. It's something that Paul said to the church in a city called Philippi 2,000 years ago, but it's still just as relevant for us today. So we're going to read that and then ask the Lord for His blessing on preaching His Word. Paul said this, Rejoice, in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us to obey that. Give us again the, the substance of it. Why can we do this? Why can we rejoice? Why can we take joy in this world that is so full of trouble? We ask you to do that. Open our eyes and our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> John Bunyan's famous old book, The Pilgrim's Progress, describes the journey of a man named Christian from this world to that which is to come. That's actually the longer title of the book. It starts with this man in a state of despair. He has this great burden upon his back. It's the burden of his guilt, all the awareness of his sins, his failings. And so he sets out on this journey to be relieved of his burden. And the cry is on his lips, what shall I do to be saved? In time, he comes to a place where there is a cross and an empty tomb. And it's at, it's at the cross on which Jesus died. That's, that's what the cross represents, the tomb, which is where Jesus rose in defeat of death. And as the man looks at the cross, the great burden falls off his back and it tumbles away and it rolls into the, the empty tomb out of sight. And here's what transpires next in, in the book. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. <coughs> That's not just a story. That's autobiographical. John Bunyan actually experienced that. 
And I'll come back to a quote from his autobiography later. But let me ask you a question. Do you carry a burden this morning that's robbing you of joy? Do you carry the weight of a guilty conscience for your faults and your failures, for your sins against God and others? Do you carry the weight of the world, feeling unprotected, unhelped, unwanted, unsure of whether the Lord is really for you? Are you struggling to find joy because of that burden? If that's you, and it will be you sometime (laughs) in this life, then I have good news for you from God's Word. You can be relieved of your burden and rejoice no matter what is going on in your life. Because there's a joy that's not dependent on life circumstances. And all of us can have it in believing the message of the cross. Paul prayed in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing is how we experience joy. Believing in the truth of the gospel, all that Jesus did on the cross for us. So this morning we're going to get a sight of the cross and what it accomplished because it's there that we'll be relieved of our burdens and find joy. So let's start with the observation from our text in Philippians which is that we are commanded to be joyful. We're commanded to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's not a suggestion. (laughs) It's also not a temperament or a personality that you have to be born with or you just can never have this. It's a command. It's something to do. Rejoice. It could be worded take joy or be joyful. But what exactly is joy? It probably seems self-evident to us. A happy, smiling, laughing person is joyful. A gloomy, frowning, weeping person is not. But we have more information than that in the Scriptures about joy. There are actually eight words for joy in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. There's seven words for joy in the Greek of the New Testament. They cover a whole range of intensity of emotion. It can start from the high end, which is leaping from jo- for joy, all the way to other responses such as gladness, good cheer, satisfaction, contentment. Here's what I think all those have in common. Joy is the delight that arises from possessing a desired good. Joy is the delight that arises from possessing a desired good. You get an A on a test when you thought you were going to get an F. <laughs> you, recover, you recover from an illness and you feel better. You feel good. You hear from your daughter that she has made it safely home in a blizzard. You have a quiet hour in your favorite chair with a book and a cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm hearing some... Yeah, I'm hearing some amens for that. (laughs) Joy is in all of those things. 
And here in our text, we're exhorted, we're exhorted, we're commanded to rejoice, to be joyful. But that raises a question. How can anyone command you to feel joy? What if you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad decade? If joy comes from possessing a desired good and there's no good in my life that I can see, then you can't tell me to be joyful. You can't tell me to have delight. That sounds like putting on a smiley face. It sounds like the advice, you know, don't worry, be happy. Well, I'm not happy. (laughs) So it's not going to be authentic. It won't be genuine. But the command to rejoice is qualified. It's not just rejoice period, that would be inauthentic, that wouldn't be genuine. But it's rejoice in the Lord. It is rejoice as you remember the greatest good that you possess is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul is writing this to a church of believers in Jesus. They've trusted Him as Savior. So the command is, take joy in your Savior and in all the blessings He purchased for you on the cross where He died. That joy will be genuine because the good that you possess from Him is real. It is real good. (laughs) How good is it? Well, Jesus told a parable one day. He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus brings into our lives through his life, death, and resurrection to all who trust him as Savior. And it is so good that it's like finding a treasure chest that is worth more than everything you have, more than everything you could ever lose. It's like winning the lottery, except better, because you can't waste it all by bad decisions after you've gotten that $100 million, which I hear happens. These joys are permanent. This treasure you can't lose. You can't squander this away. So what are these riches that bring joy, that we may obey this command to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, let me point out just two of them. The first one is forgiveness for our sins. It's forgiveness for our sins. Forgiveness is release from a debt. Our sin puts us in debt to God. There's obedience that we owe Him, and we can't repay it because we can't go back and do it over But the treasure that purchased our forgiveness is the sinless righteousness of Jesus. He took the blame and the punishment for our sins in exchange. He gives us His perfect record of obedience, making us right with God, reconciled. He's for us. It's great. Colossians 2.14 says, God has forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
And when that truth gets deep down into our souls and we really believe it, the response is joy. Romans 4, 7, and 8 says this in one translation, How happy those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How happy the man whom the Lord will never charge with sin. There's a reality. The Lord will never charge you with sin if you are in Christ by faith. He will count you, He does count you, blameless. The realization, that realization, is how the burden fell off the back of Christian in the book Pilgrim's Progress, and it was the burden that fell off John Bunyan himself once he realized that. He wrote this in his autobiography. I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, as my righteousness. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. Now I went also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. I experienced that same thing at the pastor's college. I can remember the exact week when things changed for me. Where I went from being burdened by all my sins, the guilt that I had carried for years, to relief, to lightness of heart, to rejoicing. It was November 2002, the week that Jerry Bridges taught on the gospel. I had been a Christian for 22 years at that point. But that week, I realized as if it was for the first time that I didn't have to make up for all my sins. I didn't have to do anything to make it better. Jesus atoned for all my sins. He is my righteousness before God. I don't need my own righteousness. Neither do you. When you put your trust in Christ, you get His record. And He takes your record. So now God looks at you and He says, perfection. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed with it. That's the basis on which He is for us. So you can't ruin that. That's treasure you can't squander away. That's security. That brings relief. That brings contentment, joy. There's more riches in this treasure chest of gospel joy. We also have the promise of eternal life. When Jesus sent out the disciples with power to heal and cast out demons and all that, they returned successful. They returned excited. And Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, I've never cast out a demon from someone, but i got to think that would be pretty awesome. Like, I think that would be a period of joy in your life, you know? I mean, to see God do a miracle in front of you, to demonstrate His power over evil, to liberate somebody from their misery in a moment? Wow! And Jesus says, oh, wait a minute, there's something even better than that. I'm going to deliver you from evil. 
all evil. (laughs) Completely and forever rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven, the eternal dwelling place of God, the new heaven and earth, where sin and sorrow and death and evil will be no more forever. Rejoice in that. That's better than casting out a demon. (laughs) Way better. This is your destiny in Christ. If your name is written in heaven, you're going to rise above the pain of this world into glory. That's guaranteed. That we can rejoice in. It's for those reasons and many more that Paul can say to people that he's never met, who he doesn't know their life situation, but he knows they're in this church, he can say, rejoice in the Lord. He can say it to you this morning. God's saying it to you this morning. You can do it because you have the greatest good that there is. You have treasure in Jesus Christ and all that God promises us through Him. It's yours. You can't lose it. So rejoice in the Lord. Joy is a fruit of believing the gospel. But it doesn't come automatically, which is why Paul is saying, do it. (laughs) To Christians, because he knows our joy goes up and it goes down, and sometimes we lose sight of it and it disappears into a hole in the ground, and then finally, you know, it might come back up again. He knows that that's what life is like. So he says, rejoice, do it, you got to press in. It's not automatic. What we have to do is get over some obstacles to joy and cultivate some practices that bring us in contact with joy, bring it back to us again. So that's what we'll talk about next is first the obstacles and then the practices. I'll talk about two obstacles to joy, and here's the one that I think gets in our way the most. It's the argument that my circumstances are too terrible to have joy. My circumstances are too terrible to have joy. We can feel like it just isn't reasonable to expect joy given what I face. When I'm under the kind of stress that I am at work, when I don't have any friends, when there's serious illness in the family, when the world is at war, when it looks like I'm going to be persecuted for my faith, and things like that, it can seem like those are good reasons to not rejoice. Now, there's no denying that nothing is joyful about any of those things. There is a place for lament. There is a place for weeping with those who weep. Life is hard. Life is full of trouble. We don't need to deny that, but we can find joy in the trouble. Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always from prison. He mentioned that four times in chapter 1. His circumstances were not good. He was chained to a wall. He was in some dark, dank, cold place at the mercy of his captors. Even there, he rejoiced. When he described his life of ministry to the Corinthian church, here are some of the things he mentioned. This is what my life is like afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. 
That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? (laughs) But he also said, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Here's a man who's aware of the invisible realities of the cross. Yeah, my life situation is not great. I don't like beatings, but yet at the same time, I possess everything. And we're making people rich. We're bringing people into into contact with this treasure chest of gospel joy that flows from Christ, this great life that He gives. So yes, I'm going to rejoice in this prison. He didn't focus on his present trials. Instead, he looked what we would call evidences of God's grace, reminders of God's activity, God's faithfulness, God's kingdom at work in the world. In every trial and sorrow, we have a choice. You can't choose your bad news, but you can choose whether or not you'll remember the good news. That's our choice. And in choosing to remember the good news, we can be rejoicing even when we're sorrowful. I know my tendency is to focus on the bad news, to obsess about all the bad things that are happening in the world and worrying about what next bad thing is going to happen. And I've learned a surprising truth. Never would have seen this coming. That when you obsess about the bad news, it doesn't produce joy. (laughs) Who knew? Jesus said, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Obsessing over what's wrong with the world or in your life is not going to add to your life. All it will do is sap you of joy. Corey Ten Boom, the Christian who survived the Holocaust concentration camps, said something very wise. She said, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. That is true. We want to go in the other direction. We want to call to mind God's goodness in Christ because the joy of the Lord is your strength, according to Nehemiah 8.10. That's where we're going to get strength, joy that comes from Christ. Joy is a matter of belief more than it is a matter of circumstances. That's why, as we've been watching Pastor Dan suffer through cancer, we've watched the reality that you can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We've watched him walk in faith. We've watched him persevere and show us that joy is possible in the hardest things. This same joy is available to all of us. Mary and I have another friend with cancer. Her name is Holly. She has a rare form of cancer that is so aggressive that once they detect that you have it, you have four to six months to live. And that's if they catch it right at the beginning. They caught it one month ago. And she lives in Siberia. where she doesn't have access to the treatment that can do anything about it. She's a missionary there. We've been following her journey on the Caring Bridge website, and what stands out to me 
is that she's choosing not to empty today of its strength by worrying. Instead, she's choosing to hang on to verses like Isaiah 64.4, which she quoted in one of her posts. It says, For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for Him. Now, there have been a bunch of miracles in her life story, which I'd love to tell you about, but the bottom line is that she knows God is working and that God is good and that those who trust in Him are under His care, both in life and in death. And so she's going to choose not to rob herself of today's joy. She's going to cling to Isaiah 64 and believe. I'll just mention one more obstacle to joy besides the thinking that, well, my circumstances are just too bad for it. Another obstacle is that we seek joy in the world rather than in the Lord. I mean, we all want to find fulfillment and happiness. It's just naturally our, our inclination, but we look for it in all the wrong places. We want whatever will give us temporary pleasure or relieve pain. It doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal, moral or immoral, even things that are self-destructive. A person will try it and continue to use it if it will just give them some happiness or relieve their unhappiness. But Solomon learned the truth about that in Ecclesiastes. He had at his disposal all the money and power to pursue every pleasure known to man. And after he tried all of them, he said, the verdict was, all is vanity and striving after wind. The joy was temporary and elusive. It was like the wind that comes and goes and you can't hold on to it. Now, that doesn't deny that there are legitimate joys in the world, because there are. Music and food and family and health and recreation and so many things. Those are good things to enjoy. And we're going to come back to that in the last part, the practices. It's just that putting our hope in those things is like chasing wind. You can't cap, capture it in the bottle and keep it. We need a joy that lasts even when we don't have the good things that we would like to have. We don't have to end up as grumpy old men and women disillusioned, full of bitterness that we didn't get what we wanted in life, we can mature into cheerful saints who know what it's like, who know what we have in Christ. We can rest in the everlasting arms of God. We can know the sweetness of fellowship with Him. We can remember His faithfulness as we await our sure reward. There's a joy that's better than the world can give us. Psalm 4-7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. <laughs> like when things are going great for people and they're happy, well, I have a better joy than that. That's what the psalmist is saying. Because mine's not going to end like yours. <laughs> Mine is going to be eternal. <laughs> that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always. Let's move on past the obstacles. Let's talk about the practices to cultivate joy. Like any virtue that we want to grow in, having the joy of the Lord will take some intentionality. It will take forming some habits. 
Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In other words, just in case that didn't take the first time, <laughs> let me say that again. Right? Because it's not always going to take the first time. It's going to take some habitual reminding and reminding and reminding and habits that bring us back to joy. So here are some recommendations. I'm going to list five of them, and that's too many to remember. So don't try. But listen for the one that like really resonates with your soul. You're like, yeah, that would be really helpful. I knew I needed that. Like, just listen for that one. And, but, you know, if you're taking notes, then go ahead and write them all down. Because the more, the merrier. The more, the more access to joy, the better, right? Okay, here's the first and most important habit, I think, to cultivate joy. Meet with the Lord every day. Meet with the Lord every day. I didn't say have devotions every day, which is what I'm actually still saying. But meeting with the Lord is why you're having the devotion. He's alive. He exists. He's everywhere. He's for you. He died on a cross for your sins. Wants you to know Him. So we go every day and say, Who are you? Let me look in your word and see you there. Because Jesus said that the Scriptures all point to Him. So we're going to go meet with Him because you can't get excited about somebody you don't know. You can't get excited about truths that you've never read. So how are we ever going to get it? Unless we're in the Word. Unless we go there over and over. It's in the Bible that we meet Jesus in all of His glory. It's in the Bible that we find the truth that delights our souls. Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your Word like one who finds great spoil. <laughs> I love that picture. It's like you go to this uh, flea market and you find this picture for 20 bucks, nobody knows that this thing's worth anything more than 20 bucks, but you see that it's a Rembrandt. Like, it's worth millions. Great spoils. Like, you come upon this thing, you're like, I can't believe that. I can get this for 20 bucks? <laughs> People don't know the value of the Scriptures, but they're like that Rembrandt. Great spoil is in there. The Word is so rich with wisdom for life, with comfort for our sorrows, with encouragements, with perspective, with a peek into the future of how this world ends, and it ends with the triumph of God and all of His people. The prophet Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Have you tasted of that joy? <laughs> you can if you make a habit to meet with the Lord over His Word and in prayer every day, if it feels dry and dusty to you, then pray that prayer of Psalm 119.18 right before you open it. I do this every day. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Because I'm not going to have my eyes open in the morning. And this is even after coffee for, you know, for some people. You just don't wake up like, I'm ready to go. Like, God, open my eyes because this is great spoil. And I don't want to see it as just worth 20 bucks. I want to see it as the Rembrandt that it is. Because it is that. Meet with the Lord every day. That's the first one. 
another practice to cultivate joy. Have a go-to list of verses to get you out of a slump. A go-to list of verses. I recommend memorizing those verses that address your particular temptations, the unproductive paths that your mind runs down when you don't have anything else to think about, because joy is a product of redirecting your mind to where the good is, to where the hope is, right at the point of temptation or despair or confusion. You know, it's no coincidence that shortly after saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Like he's saying, here's what to think about if you want to rejoice in the Lord. Find the excellent things. Find the lovely things, the true things, because those are in the Scriptures, and that will help you to have joy. And you'll need them in the moment of temptation, which is where memorization comes in. Like, you don't have your Bible with you everywhere, but you can get the Bible into your head, and then it's with you everywhere. And then it's ready to get you out of your downward spiral. I'm tempted to let fear dictate all my actions. So early on, probably the first year of my Christian life, I memorized Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's like background noise in my head most of the time. <laughs> like That has centered me so many times. It's relief. I'm not alone. God is for me. He's going to help me. You have your own verses. There's going to be stuff that speaks to your soul. So memorize it so that it can keep doing that. The Holy Spirit will bring it to mind. Another way to cultivate joy, participate fully in the local church. Psalm 16.3 says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. One of the good things God has given us to delight in is each other. In the fellowship of other believers, who are walking through this world alongside of you and can help you remember the good that we possess in Christ. Granted, we're not always delightful. I mean, we can be an outright pain in the neck. We can. We're a work in progress. But what potential for joy there is in the gathered community of believers. There's encouragement to be found. There's counsel, there's bearing one another's burdens, there's rejoicing with those who rejoice, there's weeping with those who weep. All the one another commands that the church has been given are commands to help us rejoice in the Lord. So that's why we meet here, that's why we meet in homes, that's why we're planning an all-church retreat for Labor Day weekend. Let's just spend a good long time with each other and let's laugh. Let's make memories together. Let's encourage each other. We're made to share life together. There's joy to be found in the community. Two more quick ones, then we, then we close. Listen to worship music. Yes, I got a yes and an amen over there. This is something Mary has always done in her life, and one thing that I'm learning, relearning the importance of it. 
Psalm 5.11 says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. The Psalms are an example of this. They're truth set to music. And you can, memorize, you can remember music. And it gets into your head, and it'll, it'll have more fruit bearing. The Psalms are heart yearnings of the human soul that's leaning towards God. They're an outlet for joy, and they're a call to joy in God around the truths of Scripture. And so that should be for all modern worship music. should have those goals in mind. So if you don't feel joyful, tap into somebody else who is. <laughs> Let their joy rub off on you. Tap into the truth they're singing about that you've forgotten. Pick the good songs, you know, good musically and good theologically. <laughs> Don't memorize bad stuff. <laughs> memorize stuff that's actually going to help you after you have memorized it. But listen, it, it might help you come out of that spiral of downward thinking. We just got like a TV that taps into things like Spotify and whatnot. And so like we can just click a button and we can have worship music. It's like, that's a revelation. We got to have more of that. Last one, enjoy the everyday blessings from God. I mentioned earlier, Ecclesiastes says, pursuing joy in worldly things is like striving after wind. It's elusive. You can't hold on to it. You can't put it into a bottle. But Ecclesiastes doesn't say, well, therefore, don't enjoy anything in the world. No, it says, enjoy the everyday blessings in their proper place as a gift from God, not as a replacement for God. I love Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. You want to start with memorizing a verse? How about this one? Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. The point there is not that anything goes, you can do anything you want. The point is that God has given us the everyday pleasures as an encouragement, as something to enjoy along the hard path of life. So enjoy good meals. Splurge once in a while on something you don't absolutely need. Enjoy good times with your spouse if you have one. Why? Because that is your portion in life from God. Let those moments of physical, mental, and emotional refreshment bless you in the midst of your toil. That's why God has given those to you. Joy in the Lord and enjoying God's gifts are not mutually exclusive. They go together to form a well-rounded joy. Let me close with this. Joy is yours for the taking if you're a believer in Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because we, we possess a great good that can't be taken away from us by anything in this world. Jesus and all the blessings of God that flow to us, that is treasure. That we can say it's worth it all to have that. 
So let's choose to remember that so we can rejoice always. And this is not only for our own good cheer. Joy is a powerful advertisement for the gospel to those who don't know it. Anybody can happy when things are going well for them. But to have joy even in your sorrow, now that's joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, like Peter said, to the suffering church. And that's ours in Christ. And people are attracted to joy, the real thing, the kind that doesn't go away, like the dew that burns off in the morning sun. They want the real thing, the deep thing, and we have it. But we have to remember that we have it. We have to remember why we have joy. It's Christ. So let's help each other with that. We can do that in our discipleship groups. Do that whenever. May God increase our joy. May we rejoice in Him always. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help in this. We thank you that you know that we need help. That's why this command is in the Bible. That's why the examples are in the Bible, like Paul. Examples like people that we know who are living the reality of it and show us that this is accessible to us. So we thank you for, for your mercy and your generosity in giving us the content of joy and the Holy Spirit who produces it in us. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, fill us more and more and show us the glory of Jesus that we can have more joy and spread that joy to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.